Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the HR Revolution or Evolution. No matter what way you look at it, it's the revolution of HR for the evolution of business today. And we love having conversations and sitting down with thought leaders to really just pick their brain and learn from their experiences and maybe steal a little of that intellectual capital so we can start to apply that in our day jobs to just have that impact on the individual lives of employees while, while still delivering results back to the organization or the business. So with me today, I have Chris. How's it going, Chris? It's going great, Kevin. Excited to be here for another episode of the HR Evolution. And our guest today is Grace Zunsick. She is a people and culture executive who leads with positive energy and positive intent. She spent the last 10 years in leadership roles at Chibani and is now preparing for her next chapter, as the Chief People and Impact Officer at Cotopaxi. Grace is a trusted leader who demonstrates her leadership skills and her expertise, not only in the business world, but also through her community involvement and dedication on several boards and community committees. On behalf of Kevin and myself, we wanna thank you, Grace, for taking time to talk with us today and welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. Well, there's nothing better than spending a summer Friday morning with some upstaters. So I'm really happy to be here today. So thanks for having me. Well, we're really excited. Yes, we are in upstate and we heard that you're from Syracuse. So if you're taking Chris and I out, guy from Rochester, guy from Buffalo, where are you taking us in Syracuse? Well, I think I would go to the dinosaur barbecue. I mean, my family's in Skinny Atlas. And so maybe Lake House Pub. Ooh, okay. I, I love that place. Yeah. That's another great spot. Yes. I like that you just pronounced Skinny Atlas for me because I pass that sign all the time and I have no <laughs> idea how to pronounce it. So Skinny Atlas, that's great. I learned something already today. This is fantastic. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, how about this, Grace? You're uh, Maybe you're going out for a walk, a nature hike, and you've got your beats on or you got your earbuds in. What are you listening to that just kind of gets you in the mood that you know, kind of relax or get you ready for your day? What kind of music are you listening to today? Yeah, that's great. Well, these days I'm listening to like Florence and the Machine, okay. uh, and, uh, like a lot of indie pop music. I'm going awesome. back to some of those songs that I listened to in high school. I think I've been really nostalgic for like rediscovering myself um, okay. and taking this intentional break, which means such an amazing run at Shivani and my new job. So I'm listening to a lot of songs that have just made me happy for like decades. Awesome. My husband jokes with me that I never upgrade my music. It's like been the same <laughs> for years and it's true. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. nice. And sometimes I, I find that too, music does help you kind of explore and, and start to think about things and helps with that yeah. reflection. And I think a lot of people did the similar reflection. Do you want to kind of dive into what that experience was like for yourself? Because I think it's, it's leading to this next opportunity that you're finding yourself in um, yet again, a wonderful organization to work for. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, everyone talks about the pandemic unlocking something inside of us to explore who we are. I think that so much was lost and yet so much was gained uh, in our lives to reassess. It's a privilege to be able to do this too. Um, not everyone can just take an intentional break in their life and not have, you know, weekly paycheck. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that my husband works and I was, and we were able to save and I could really be thoughtful about taking this intentional break in my life. When I let my family know that I was going to be leaving this place that I loved so much in Shibani and oh my goodness, what a wonderful organization to work for and be a part of for 10 years. They looked at me and they said, you know, you've worked since high school. And it was a reminder that I've 
always had a job, um, you know, really my whole life and I've never stopped. And so for go from going from a hundred miles per hour to zero is a weird feeling, um, but it's something that I needed to do. And I think that no one knows you better than you know yourself. And I was feeling like this was my moment and my time. It's been great. I have two young kids. I've been spending a lot of time with them, a lot of reading, a lot of drop off and pick up at sports, um, really engaging with them in ways that, you know, when work is in the background, it's harder to do. Um, and that's made for a beautiful summer and discovering what I wanted to do again. I think one of the things that I realized when I left such a great organization like Chibani is that I love to build things and I wanted to build something all over again. And I wanted to direct my energies towards something I could be very proud of that was highly impact driven. And I wanted to unlock another piece of me, like who I am. So I love food and I love, obviously became very passionate about through Chibani frontline workforces and spent, you know, a lot of time with my team, my incredible team uh, at Chibani working through, you know, the issues and needs of what was, you know, 70% of the workforce at Chibani. Um, and I thought, well, that was an unlock, a passion area of mine. What are some other areas that I'm very passionate about? And I remembered all the joy that I had and all the self-discovery and coming of age that I had through my experiences being outdoors. Um, I went to a summer camp in the Adirondack Mountains as a kid. Um, and my mom, I think, sent me off to camp when I was like eight years old, which was a little aggressive. <laughs> it, was an, it was a sleepaway camp. It was an all-girls summer camp in the mountains. And it really shaped me. It was like the most formative years of my life. And a lot of hiking and um, a lot of independence and figuring out how to pitch a tent and you know how to use the stars to direct your way home. And those life experiences really shaped me. And I thought, well, what if I could go commit my energies to that industry? And then started thinking about brands that reminded me of Chibani, honestly. Brands that were trying to make the world a better place, do right, do good for others, and was drawn to this beautiful company called Cotopaxi. And I'm really excited to join them this fall. They have an amazing team. And it's building on like really a modern way of running a company. It's a very transparent organization and how they work with their employees. They're embracing remote first work. Um, they're looking at all the different elements of their benefits and how they can do it in a very modern way. And it's a blank sheet of paper to go and have impact and build on a really strong foundation. And that's exciting. That awesome. sounds really, really exciting. And some of those points that I just want to pull out there, because I think it's really what we're seeing with the ESG movement, right? It's it's the younger workforce. We want to know that the employers that we're working for, are, we're working towards something greater, right? And, yeah. and I think that that's similar to the, your experience of what you found is, once you had that at Giovanni and saw the commitment and difference they were making in the communities and providing these opportunities, I, I found that fascinating because that's a real big piece to that social connection of what people have, not just to the work, but to the organization that they choose to work for today. I would just love to know, Grace, you know, walk us, you know, through your career progression. A lot of our listeners, you know, are varying stages probably within their careers. Um, and I, I love just hearing from leaders know, kind of the path that you took and you know, your path that I think is an interesting one that might be, you know, interesting for our, for our audience to hear about. So tell us a little bit of how you got into the space itself from a people and impact standpoint. Definitely. Well, in the earlier part of my career, a lot of my job choices were centered on how can I build actual skills. 
And I talk to grads from college a lot about this. Should they join a startup and do something that really feeds a lot of their passions to build things and learn quickly and be on a really steep learning curve? Or should they go to like a larger organization and build core skills like PowerPoint skills, Excel skills? I went more in that route. And, you know, frankly, the job that I took after business school helped me pay off my student loans. I mean, it was a very wonderful organization yeah. to be a part of, a great investment bank, but it certainly helped me in that time of my life. Um, I would say that something that's been a North Star for me is taking risks. There's a fun story of how I joined Shivani years ago where I cold called Hamdi Ulkaya's desk uh, to get a meeting with him. And that cold call led to a job with Hamdi and a job with this incredible organization for 10 years. And then similarly, in my exploration for what I wanted and was yearning for, for the next decade, hopefully, of my career, yeah. I called outreach the CEO of Cotopaxi. So uh -huh. I think that, you know, taking risks and making yourself available, we talk a lot about networking, and it's true, and staying in touch with people. There is a domino effect of the more people that you meet and bring into your life, the more doors that are open for you. I, I really believe that and being intentional about that. But if there's something that you're drawn to, go for it. Like, yeah. let them know that you're in the market and why you're connected to the brand and why it makes you you feel like how you feel and the role. And I've done that now a couple of times in my career successfully. So I would certainly recommend that. And, um, you know, this lightning in a bottle, the first job you have is going to be the job that is your dream job. It doesn't really work that way. But I think when you're in your 40s, you look back and every job had a reason. And that is what's really fulfilling. Like the days that I spent doing PowerPoint presentations and the days that I spent cold calling and trying to make sales calls, all those things prepared me for what I'm doing now in ways that I never would have thought when I was doing those things back in the day. So it's all a build. And I would say, too, that in these times, the workplace is changing at an astronomical rate. And there's a lot of opportunity uh, to join companies that are going to be aligned with your values and also aligned with how you want work to play a role in your life. Yeah. And I think one of the things coming out of the pandemic that we never really could have anticipated is like the permanent uh, work from home arrangement or hybrid arrangement and what this yeah. looks like. And I will close by saying, you know, when I was growing up, my mom worked full time in Syracuse. Um, so she had probably, I don't know, 30 minute commute from where we were growing up um, every day. And, you know, she made it home a little bit after dinner, right in time for dinner. I mean, if my mom had the opportunity to work from home a couple days or a week, I mean, what a gift that would have been for her. And it just wasn't thought of then. Neither were things like parental leave. I mean, I think she had me and she was back at the office after a few weeks, you know, and um, the dads were back the next day. So things have really changed. And I think that we need to be grateful for those things changing. And we need to be part of more similar change that will um, support the next generation of workers to have great work-life balance in the careers that they choose. That's awesome to hear, because I think that's what motivates me too, is just, I've only been working for 10 years, but I've seen in just 10 years how quickly it has evolved and adapted. I mean, entry-level positions, you still see it today, but they still were requiring two to three years experience, but there was there, there were more uh, people than jobs when I first graduated. So seeing where we are today and seeing, uh, I guess, the supply and demand have an impact so greatly on these organizations forcing a lot of them to change um, is exciting to see. And that's that's really what 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 I love about HR is that opportunity to to make it better for the next person, you know, and that that same experience that we had. 
I always share that my wife and I had our child and, and pivotal life uh, moment for both of us. And both HR teams that we were uh, a part of kind of flubbed the opportunity to, to have that impact, you know, at that critical life juncture and, and how many opportunities are, are typically missed by employers um, just because they're focused on other things. I loved what you said about the 70% of Chobani's workforce was frontline employees, because typically that's the portion of the population when you're designing benefits, when you're designing compensation, they're usually the last to be thought of, but they're the most important. They're almost the blood of the organization to keep it functioning appropriately, whether it's customer experience and customer net promoter scores and all these other things that the business typically tracks. How did you get... Um, connected with the front line because it's that's usually what I hear in a lot of conversations that I have in the world of consulting is oh they don't have a cell phone or we can't get a hold of them or they're not interested in these things so I think there's a lot of assumptions being made how were you able to effectively connect with that 70 percent of the workforce that made up the front line and really made Shabani who you were from a macro perspective outside of you know where I just left I think, you know, we say a lot of was lost during the pandemic, but some, some things were gained. The voice that frontline employees have now within their organizations is tremendous. And I think we're seeing it in this rapid increase in wages. I mean, a $15 minimum used to make front page news, remember, not that long yeah. ago before yeah. the pandemic. And now, you know, a lot of entry level positions are coming in at $19, $20 an hour. And we haven't moved the, you know, the federal minimum wage in so long. But what's happening is that market competitiveness is just increasing wages to get people back in. You see companies investing tons of money in um, continuing education. Great organizations like Guild are coming in and re-educating tons of people and giving them opportunities to get degrees and learn and get advancement within their organizations. You see companies doubling down their investment in men mental health services. Uh, increasing their benefits and making their benefits more equitable, which is something I loved about Chibani is that we didn't have like tiers. Everybody was entitled to the same thing, whether you were, you know, filling cups on the line or you were working in the C-suite, you know, everybody had the same parental leave. I thought that was great. And you see a lot of organizations moving in that direction. And I think that agency and that voice that frontline employees have right now coming out of the pandemic is not only tremendously earned, but it's going to make organizations better um, over time. And it's definitely redirected the attention of not only the HR department, but the whole executive leadership team. I think this discussion on people has been elevated um, so much. And you see it a lot, you know, basically everything, if you read the business section of a newspaper any day of the week, I would say at least 40 to 50% of the, the what people are talking about have to do with what has historically been an HR topic. And that's really interesting. It also makes us a tremendous career opportunity for people in HR to think about how to become strategic HR professionals for what's this next, you know, generation of work. Uh, very exciting. But no, I'm super passionate. Uh, another reason why I'm you know, so passionate about the frontline workforce is having grown up where we all grew up. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are the types of jobs that people in our community have. And um, we owe so much to them to give them, you know, the best 
employment opportunities that we can and, and the leadership positions and the influence positions that we have. And I think I think it's a privilege, like you said, for another reason, but it, it is a privilege to work in HR if you view it that way. But yeah. I love your intentionality behind the role means everything, right? If you're there to serve only to, to as an order taker, that's really the bucket that you'll probably fall in. But if you're there to disrupt and change and, and bring positive change to the organization and, and drive that impact, on the individual life of, life of an employee that's obviously going to take that home with them and share it with others. That's how I think we get more of that community, true community. I'm not talking about donations that you put your name up on a board. I'm talking about yeah. real community influence where you're having a greater impact. So I love that. I appreciate it greatly. Thanks, Grace. One of the things, Grace, that we often ask you know, our, our guests on the show is, Yes, there's been, I think you, your term was astronomical change, which I really like. I wrote that down, uh, not only in the way that we do work, but also in, in how we're getting work done. And also, if we just look from a social, you know, economic standpoint, lots of changes going on, the climate that we're working in. Um, I guess my question is, you know, how do you, how do you, or how do we help organizations when it comes to inclusion, when it comes to belonging? You know, what, what, what are some things that you're seeing that are really impactful for organizations to start putting into practice that maybe rather than just checking the box, you know, doing some, you know, DEI training, what are some opportunities that organizations can have to really truly live up to those missions, to live up to those purposes uh, and demonstrate that they are an inclusive organization? I love this question um, because there's so much discussion around diversity and improving the diversity of the organization. And everyone knows more diverse teams have better business outcomes. It's been proven time and time again. But when diversity comes into the organization, how do you retain it, right? And how do you make create environments? You know, it's the littlest things sometimes, and then it's the biggest thing. So I think starting with the bigger things, you know, how policies are drafted and thought of thinking of them through an inclusive lens. Think about the person that within the organization um, that might have the most unique background or the most unique profile, how they would benefit from the benefit, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think the way policy is written, how decisions are made within the organization, um, you know, the presence of ERGs within a company, I think are really important to create smaller networks of community within a company to drive inclusion. I always wondered about like the value of having diversity and inclusion councils versus specific ERGs for specific groups. And mm -hmm. I, I left Chivani thinking that the latter is very powerful. I mean, especially as your business grows and scales to create micro communities within an organization um, for, the, for the betterment of the whole. On the smaller things that you don't realize and you don't think about, like how meetings are run are really important. Mm -hmm. um, and the role that managers and leaders have in making sure all voices are heard and like really heard, not a check the box I got to, okay, did I get to everybody? Um, but being very intentional about that. And I think that this has become a bit more of a conscious exercise in a remote environment where um, everyone's together, but it's also sort of a better exercise in a remote environment. You know, we all have the same size square around our head. Um, we all kind of have similar backdrops. And it is an opportunity to use virtual environments for more inclusive conversations. Yeah. And I think that's very exciting. Um, 
But I think an expectation of everyone who's managing people at the company that they're going to create an inclusive environment and get the ripple effect from there. So thinking about inclusion as a, as a driver for performance management and how people are evaluated on it in leadership positions yeah. is super key. I think if people feel that they're not being held accountable for it or it's a buzzword and they don't see the linkage between how inclusive behavior drives greater business performance and greater employee engagement, you know, that's a proven thing. And we have to have measures around that so people stick to that that commitment. But those are those are definitely some ideas. And listening, which is a skill that over time I've worked on. I like <laughs> to talk. Uh, the listening element of inclusion is so important. And yeah. um, I would encourage leaders to think about that as well. I will say I'm not an HR. I don't have an HR background, which I think everybody knows. I have a strategy and finance background and I come from a room of a lot of talking and you know, great ideas. <laughs> but some of the HR professionals that I've worked with in my career are some of the best listeners I've ever met. And so it's a core skill for a lot of people in HR and it can be used for a, a great advantage um, in building inclusive workplaces. I love that. And I, and I know one of your areas of focus too is equitable workplaces, right? right? And, and I'm right. a proponent of equity drives inclusion, which then drives diversity more as an outcome to your point, because organizations tried to put the D first, attract the diverse candidate pool, bring them into the organization, and then they were leaving as fast as they were finding them because they haven't done the hard work, in my opinion, um, to, to really fight to create that inclusive culture. And I think inclusion is one of those buzzwords now, right? Um, and, and maybe a sense of belonging and that social connection that you mentioned with the micro communities. I love that because really that's what we need is to start forming some of these bonds and being more, again, intentional, not to overuse that word today, but intentional about how you're creating those opportunities for your employees to build those connections. Can you talk a little bit more about those micro communities and how you found that to be a really powerful force for the betterment of the entire organization? Definitely. I think when you bring people together in smaller groups, there tends to be more comfort and talking and sharing. Um, it, it's basic like that. I also, the social connectedness too, is it not only important to the organization, but important for like our society, yeah. <laughs> which is another thing we can talk about and how to preserve and expand and grow social connectedness in hybrid environments is really important. And it's going to evolve and shape over time. It's one of the things that I think the Gen Z workforce feels it's going to be missing if they don't go back to an office. And how are they going to build mentorship and relationship? Or if you're new to a company and you're joining a post-COVID organization where 80% of the people were there before and after COVID, they all knew each other, you know no one, and you're yeah. coming into a hybrid work environment. So that's why those micro-communities are ways and pathways for engagement, right? They're pathways for people to say, well, you know, I'm really interested in reading, actually, or I'm really interested in food, or I'm a Black employee, and I don't think there are many of us. I'd love to meet others. You know, getting into these smaller micro-communities, and importantly, having executive sponsorship mm -hmm. for those micro communities so that they have a voice in the C-suite and how the company is, you know, moving forward and being led, I, I think is key. That's really cool. And then I wanted to ask, I guess, yeah. a secondary question, because you talked about kind of uh, what drives performance, right? And, and how right. do we start to measure our managers, our senior executives, We've seen the SEC start to want to disclose some of this human capital disclosure agreement, right? They want to start releasing some of this information to public investors so they can understand the overall health, I guess, of the organization outside of just the financials. 
Um, when or if have you changed or looked to change the compensation or bonus structures of those set leaders? Because we know money is typically the motivator and where they're going to focus their time, energy, and really where they'll care at the end of the day. Maybe tied to some of these other more human capital or people or feeling of inclusion metrics to drive that engagement well, on their end? Yeah, I mean, I'll speak to what I know is a, is a best practice in general. And I don't, I don't want to say best practice. I would say a practice, right? Because maybe what's best here is still to be defined. Mm -hmm. But a lot of companies that have added inclusion, um, you know, whether or not you're the executive sponsor of an ERG, you know, how much time are you dedicating to the employee experience and a leadership role? Um, there are probably many other different examples that I could provide. I'm not thinking of on a Friday morning. Um, they would be a part of a performance management cycle and then therefore inform a merit increase for the year. I've seen that. I've also seen some private equity firms recently. I don't, I won't name any specifically in case I misclassify. Look at diversity metrics as a, port, as a portion of bonus compensation and how that works. So it's definitely becoming more of a trend. And then how do you do it objectively? Um, because these many companies also have commitments to pay equity and they have commitments, you know, that are kind of working together and how to align them. But I think for any organization that's trying to emphasize this in a compensation solution, it's great to start with performance management yeah. because historically a lot of companies are using some degree of a performance management annual score or a view on performance management to inform annual compensation decisions. So I think that's a really good starting point for companies that haven't quite thought of how they want to get after this opportunity. Great. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think, you know, building off of that question there, Grace, you know, talk to me a little bit about previous leadership development efforts, you know, we're talking about leadership has changed dramatically over the past two years and what it takes to be an effective leader due to a virtual world. Um, you know, how do you see leadership development, you know, morphing, mm. transitioning, changing yes. based on the traditional type of, you know, it's so funny. I never would have thought these topics are just so great. I mean, they're very exciting. So much opportunity. I think that's why I'm excited. Uh, so I think companies should go back and review the leadership attributes of their leaders and whatever they wrote down pre-pandemic, go back to it and say, are these the things that we still want to evaluate our leaders on today? Because now we're putting our leaders in situations where they're managing hybrid teams or man, or let's go back to the, let's go back to the frontline. Maybe they're managing frontline teams that suddenly have a higher degree of turnover than they had before. And maybe we have to rethink how, you know, managers are evaluated. But I think that the evaluation and what we're measuring on and what's going to be important to the organization needs a look. Um, so that would be the first thing that I would say. Secondly, you know, the old school L&D check the box solution was a good LMS yeah. and a good training program. Um, I think we have to revisit that too, because people are behind their computers all day. They're not really interested in taking an LMS course when they sign off at the end. Let me go log in to the LMS. I can't wait. I've just been on a Zoom marathon since 7 a.m. Yeah. Um, so some of the solutions that I've really loved that are coming up in the marketplace our coaching. I think people are looking for more personalized um, advice and leadership 
uh, recommendations that are tailored for them based on maybe 360 feedback or being in a group setting where they can be very vulnerable with other leaders at their company to talk about some of the real challenges they're having or the things that really jazz them up and they're excited about. BetterUp is in this space. Medley's in this space. Um, there are probably others that I'm not mentioning. Those are two that I happen to know well, where I, I think it's a big unlock for people. Um, and now, yes, some of those have to be held in virtual environments, but it's it's not um, it's not coursework. It's like human work, right? And what you're bringing is a sense of vulnerability and learning and, and listening and understanding. Uh, I think any type of trainings that can be done in real life, in person, away from the screen will always be better. Uh, but there are certainly um, some modes that can work in hybrid work environments that just fit what I think is is more applicable to the challenges that leaders are facing now, yeah. which are crazy enough, very different um, and somewhat the same. But there there have been iterations from what we've been traditionally measuring as excellence in leadership, I think. Yeah. And I love I love the measurement part part right because um, what what gets measured as gets managed as the saying right. goes right yeah. and and performance is really one of those tricky things. I find that a lot of organizations start more with the macro goals and really struggle with boiling that down into micro goals to help these individuals know how they're moving the organization closer to that purpose that vision that mission. And that's really a challenge for people because I think that's what people want. So you were touching on that on the individualized side of coaching. Um, I think our perceptions as consumers have really changed thanks to Netflix and thanks to Facebook and these other items that are constantly putting content in front of us that we like. We feel special. We feel catered to. That same expectation is not changing when we enter the walls of the workforce. We still feel special. We know we're a little bit more special now with two jobs to every available person. And I really, really loved what you said is like, how do we go back and look at what we previously measured our leadership team on and reevaluate if that's still in alignment with what we need today? Because it's severely different, like you said, an astronomical difference pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. But even before the pandemic started, our, our uh, unemployment rates were, were getting very, very low. And we already saw some of that competition starting with sign-on bonuses. What can organizations do outside of just compensation, Grace? Because it's it's an arms race right now. And organizations like nonprofits are really starting to need to think outside the box and think strategically on really how to attract, retain, and develop their talent. What are mm -hmm. things that you have seen or done um, to potentially really reevaluate what they're doing for employees? Um, and really maybe re hit the reset button to focus on what the priorities actually are for their employee base? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that the compensation discussion is uh, table stakes, but it's moving quickly. People need good data to understand um, who they're benchmarking against. Uh, I've recently gotten to know the folks over at Open Comp just because things are moving so fast. Like, What are the, the latest and greatest ways of getting real-time compensation information? I think a lot of companies wonder, like, do we really have the right comp structure? Like, Is this really where the market is? Because things have just moved so fast. Um, and that's a challenge for total rewards teams to say, are we still competitive? We were three months ago. Are we still competitive? And this used to be a discussion that we'd have like once a year and maybe we'd still use data from a couple of years ago because we didn't want to buy another data set. We rounded up, you know, like these things have kind of changed. It's a real time moving target that companies need to build capability to stay close to. So that that would be 
first. But a close second, if you talk to people about why they leave jobs, I do think that um, some folks will say, you know, I just wanted a more flexible arrangement. And this whole discussion around flexibility and having like your neighbor work from home, but you you don't, um, you know, that that has opened up, I think, a new dimension of workplace satisfaction that has been um, emphasized coming out of the pandemic. Like some people have this flexibility and this work from home and hybrid, and then so many people don't that want something like that. So how do we create more flexible work structures in all types of working environments to include places that have shifts and you know people that need to be there for 10 hours, eight hours? You know How do we create the conditions for more people to have the flexibility that seems to be what people want? But another area is a good boss. I mean, every there's that great expression, people don't leave a bad company, they leave a bad boss. Is that, yeah. is that what it is? Yeah. Um, but like the quality of the managers and how they, yeah. um, you know, create connection with their teams, how they uh, create career development opportunities for, for people within their groups. And I think what I'm seeing is I think managers are much more focused on this now. Uh, and there's been some great you know, data coming out of Microsoft recently, not measuring if employees are engaged, but measuring if employees are thriving. And yeah. a lot of the discussion on whether or not employees feel like they're thriving or not is in direct relationship with how things are going with their manager. Oftentimes, I mean, it's a big, it's a big part of it. So I think that continuing investment in management and giving management the skills to create really positive work environments where people understand how their roles are contributing to the success of the organization. They feel a part of the mission. They feel like they're getting real-time information. Things are transparent to them. Um, they can see where their career could go. They feel that they can go to their manager for anything, really. Um, but I, I think that that is incredibly important. And a lot of people will say, it's not, you know, it's not worth it to me to stay. I can't work with this, but, you know, and then they'll just go take, as, as you were saying, you know, another job that's probably readily available, just given the job market right now. Yeah. So those are things that um, you can focus on. And I think too, with, you know, manager expectations and giving managers the resources that they need to be great managers can be a big investment of money and outsource and bring in third-party help. And it can also just be, you know, the executive team setting a really great example, um, right, for everybody to follow. Yeah. And so if you're a smaller organization that doesn't have like the budget to go out there, I think like if the executive team can hold hands and say, are we all behaving and acting like how we would want the managers within our organization to behave? It, it does start there. Yeah, I, that's great. I, I like what you said about the investment, because that's what I'm what a lot of employers, I think, are dealing with right now is that some managers have been promoted because people are leaving the organization, but they're not really arming them, right, giving them the tools, the utensils, if you will, to really be an effective manager, especially in today's world. So you're almost setting them up for a burnout situation of their own because they don't even know what they're doing and they're trying to act like they do. So I, I love that point about being kind of just making sure we're, we are investing in them just as much as we're asking the frontline employees, do you have all the tools you need in order to do your job effectively? We need to also be asking the managers the same thing. And, and, and proactively providing some of, uh, I think, as well as the best case examples. I mean, leadership is, like you said, if they're providing a good example and setting the tone at the top, it should go down um, and trickle down, if you will. But uh, I love that point. Thank you, Grace. Grace, one of the questions that we had, you know, and just looking at your background is really creating, you, you mentioned a little bit about building relationships, but, you know, as, as I look at the HR executives that we've talked to, and look at those leadership teams that have been built, 
it's really important for the HR people function to have a good relationship with, you know, CFO, right? With the, the CEO, with the COO. How have you found it or what have you done in your career to help you really build those tight relationships at the C-suite level? Understand what's important to them and understand um, how to speak their language and understand their work. I think that it's not like, oh, we'll find what we have in common and we'll get along. Yeah, I mean, that's important. But I think really understanding how the decisions that you're making impact their division, impact their work. Um, The biggest transformation of quality CHRO contribution has been their ability to understand how the, the business makes money and how the PL works and how it's connected. And I and I think like really having a deep understanding. There's a great new, I'm gonna make a plug for it um, after these podcasts, of course, but a great CHRO daily coming out from Fortune magazine that was launched this week. Okay. And it had a great um story this week around how great CHROs, you almost don't know whether or not this they're the CFO when you're in the room because they have such a deep understanding of the business financials and a deep understanding of like the company. And I, I think that's a phenomenal opportunity for one. Um, But secondly, puts a great responsibility on HR leaders to really understand so much more than what their function is contributing to the company and having the communication skills to be able to articulate that to their team, because that's a development opportunity for their team, but will also help their team be more effective in their roles. That's great. I love it. Yep. Talk about that all the time. I love, uh, I love that point because again, it's a, otherwise you have no idea how you're having a, a positive impact or a negative impact on the organization. And, and some people are okay with that. I just think yeah. that having a greater understanding about the things that you can do to find those win-win scenarios for both the employee and the business um, and answering some of those questions that businesses have had for a long time. Um, unfortunately, the only information that they've typically been armed with are the financials. So the lagging indicator, and here they are trying to make futuristic decisions off of past information or old information. So, And I'll just um, put one more build on that, if okay. Yeah. Ask questions and be curious. Like one of the things that I remember working with um, a chief commercial officer in my prior life was there, there were things I didn't understand that I really wanted to understand. And people love explaining mm-hmm. and they're really into their areas. That's why they chose these careers, right? And going to the marketing teams and sales and you know the finance team, uh, supply chain and getting deep, but being curious, yeah. like, why does it work this way? You know, explain this to me, I wanna learn because the more you can learn and listen and gain knowledge, you take that back to your seat in HR to shape policy and shape the decisions that the team's making. So stay curious, ask questions, be a lifelong learner um, with your peers. Yeah. It can go such a long way. And I love, and listen, right? And, and I think your your point about being curious, you're asking questions about them. Everybody loves just like this podcast to talking about themselves. You know, you talk about things that excite them, right? It's the same opportunity that you're having with your managers to talk about, obviously, what they're passionate about within the organization. And I think Maya Angelou was the fam- made that famous. People will always forget what you do. They're going to continue to forget what you do in HR. They're going to continue to do forget what you did for them yesterday, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. So I think that feeling and that social connection, like you're saying, outside of really just understanding, well, how would this impact you? It's, it hasn't been that way in a lot of organizations due to the siloed nature. 
where everybody's got their head down on their priorities and do not care if they bulldoze over anybody else's in the process. (laughs) That's my my favorite quote of all time. So me too. It really, really is. And then you read like uh, how to win friends and influence people. And it's like, Oh, wow, this is the exact same thing. It's it's pretty amazing. Some things don't change. Yes, exactly. It's just human nature. And the more we understand human nature and humanity, the, the better we can be as businesses to understand that. And I love to how you said it earlier. It's a white sheet of paper right now. There are no boxes. There are no walls anymore. Nothing is off limits because we are in a totally new environment than we've ever been before. Sure. So that leads us perfectly into the last question of, of what we like to ask all our guests, Grace, <laughs> is we talk about the revolution of HR for the evolution of business, which means that we're evolving and there is a future of work. In your estimation, where are we headed in the future of work? And what types of things should employers be thinking about today to get maybe ahead or that crystal ball, if you will, to see what's coming? Now, I could be a real softy and talk about relationships and authentic okay. workplaces and vulnerability and transparency and trust and all that is there. Get outside the box. <laughs> but I go outside the box a little bit. I think a high, high, high degree of work-life integration, like we've never experienced any generation. Yeah and a unbelievable need for efficiency because people are struggling with um, the workloads and they're, they're struggling, they want hybrid, but they're struggling with hybrid and um, people want, the thing we can't create more of is time. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I don't think if that makes sense. And so people want to work in highly efficient very rewarding, purposeful environments where they can dedicate time in their lives to pursuits outside of work. And I think that that is going to become a real opportunity area for organizations and just how they're run. And some companies are calling this productivity and how productivity drives earnings. And we're seeing it in the tech community all the time right now, public companies looking at ways to be more productive, more productive. It's it's a little bit different than that because the efficiency should be sort of human. Mm shouldn't feel like I got to work harder. I got to run harder. I got to be, it it needs to be ways of the best possible way of doing things in order to unlock time and energy to do other things. And whether there are other things for the organization or there are other things to better our lives or better our communities. I think that that's sort of the world that we're living in right now that people are swimming in with not a lot of direction that's going to figure itself out over, over time. Um, so that's, if that makes sense, uh, that would be my answer to that one. Um, but I think it's a really good question. And, and there are lots of other things that are going to get sorted but from a true HR traditional perspective too, around like workplace policy, you know, work from anywhere. Can you really work from everywhere? How does that work? And, you know, there's going to be a lot of, um, stuff going on in the policy landscape as well, which I think a lot of HR professionals get very excited about and they mm-hmm. like digging into that and understanding like how to stay within that box and, and yeah. do that. I think we'll see some of that, um, but a yearning for this efficiency in a way that feels very human and um, applicable to needs is is gonna be here. I love that. That's great. And I, I couldn't agree more with the efficiency and the time piece because yeah. I think that was what we all learned during the pandemic that we have a limited time on earth. So yeah, all of a sudden right. time became a priority. Yeah. And this is what always drove me nuts in the professional world. We would do all these efficient things in our personal lives, but then it seemed to stop when we came into the walls of the business. Yeah. We would do things that we knew had multiple more steps 
And that's really what people are seeing. That was a lack of investment to make it less tactical and administrative work. If I'm just yeah. inputting information from one system to another, I know a computer can do that. So what else do you have for me kind of thing? And that's where I, I'm starting to see that more people are prioritizing their time and saying, hey, this process is broken. It's the willingness, though, of the leadership team or the manager to listen to that and really innovate that process and change it and, and work to digitizing it or eliminating it entirely. So, Grace, I just wanted to say thank you from Chris and myself and the HR Revolution team. Thank you so much for being a great guest on our podcast. And it's such a pleasure to meet somebody else that has just been in HR for five short <laughs> years as well, uh, because uh, it gives me hope that uh, there's other opportunities out there for people like myself and Chris and others. Um, because it, I think we're in uncharted waters right now as, when it, as yep. it relates to CHROs and, and the potential impact that they're going to have within the business community for, for a while. Yeah, well, thank you, Kevin and Chris. Thanks to your community of listeners, and I hope to be back with you someday soon. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs>